on this episode of AV Week, lighting as a revenue stream for commercial integrators. QSC gets into video over IP and the opportunities that lie in the esports market. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 385, recorded Friday, January 11th, 2019. The eSports Experience. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. And by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, his name is Luke Jordan with Electroacoustics, but you also might know him on his night job as the uh, chief uh, uh, chairman of the CTS Steering Committee for Abixa. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Tim. I was afraid you were about to tell him about my other night job as a superhero. No, sorry, no, that, that one is safe with me. Uh, but if you follow Luke on, on Twitter, um, he, uh, he already has his beautiful signature on the, uh, on the CTS uh, certification. So if you get your CTS in the next couple of years, you will have Luke's autograph on it. So. Uh, also with us is Eric Snyder. Eric is from Conference Technologies. Welcome, sir. Hello, welcome. And uh, last but not least, a new guy here, so you two please be nice to him. His name is Mike Gleason, and he is from Netrix. Welcome, sir. Hello, everybody. Uh, so, guys, our, our top story here this week, QSC announced their latest addition to the QSIS ecosystem, is what they're calling it. The company will debut, uh, it's called the NV Series, uh, Network Video Distribution System. This is QSC's entrance into the AV over IP space. Uh, the NV Series uses shift encoding to get bit rates of 10 to 850 megabytes per second. Now, the eight. 10 to 850 is, is content dependent, obviously. If you have something that's pretty static, there's nothing changing, it's, it's going to be a lower, uh, a lower uh, bit rate. According to QSC's Mike Brandis, uh, the NV series is quote-unquote optimized for the connected meeting room. Let's talk about this uh, from a spec standpoint for a second, understanding that they just announced this this week. None of us have seen this in person unless somebody saw it at like a whisper suite type thing, in which case you signed an NDA, in which case I'm not going to ask you to break it. So let's just go with none of us have seen this in person. Uh, so those of us that are going to ISE will obviously see it on the show floor uh, there. Uh, based on the specifications, uh, Luke, we'll start with you. Based on the specifications and what QSC is saying, where does the NV series stand in the overall AV over IP landscape? Uh, well, I haven't seen it, so no NDA to break there. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, a big part of it for me really is touching it, breaking it. Um, uh, what I've kind of figured out with a lot of new technologies as it comes out, and especially for QSC, this is not something that's been in their wheelhouse before is there's places where it's going to be a great fit and places where it's not going to be a good fit and understanding where that line is and not crossing it will really end up contributing to how successful this product is and how well the integrator that chooses to deploy it will do. Um, 
right now on any QSIS system, I tend to go really heavy on the audio. Um, and I don't really do as much with QSC on the video side. This kind of breaks that that whole that whole box open. So I could definitely see myself using this in a way that really gets other manufacturers out of that door, provides a full QSIS environment, and uh, just does it all in-house and very well. Again, depending on if it's a good fit for that type of project. Real quickly, for clarification, you said when, you, when you're you looking at QSC, you're focused more on the audio. Is that speakers and amplifiers and DSP, or is it just speakers, or is it just one or the other? Mostly just processing. Okay. Uh, I really I really get a lot of use out of that in the conference space. It does AC really well. It's got the USB to you know talk to a soft codec on a PC. Uh, it does all of that that very well. Eric, I want to bring in uh, something that, that Luke said. He talked about, you know, this might well, you know, kind of fill everything out that QSC is, is doing. How does this, how does the NV series fill out what, what QSC is referring to as their ecosystem? So this this all-in-one thing. You know, that's, that's a great question right now. And it, it's annoying and I understand why they do it. So you got, you got an open platform system and you got a closed platform system, right? And I'm, I'm really, the industry is going through trends right now of getting you into their platform. And so there's some other things. I, I think it's going to be an okay product. Um, they're really quite honest. It's going to be where, where they price it at, I think, at the end of the day, right? And what's also interesting with QSC, they already were doing stuff with visionary solutions, which was already kind of out there, right? You know, so I can get a visionary solutions. They adopted that within their platform. And it was a pretty decent box. I played with it a little bit, you know. So uh, it's like, okay, so we're we're going over to this. Are we doing that so we can guarantee what extra benefit do I get with the QSC name on it? One, well, you know, one choke the throat. And then the other's going to be on price, right? You know, I think, like, they need to learn from, like, Biamp, too. Is like the Biamp Terralux product's really good. I don't mean to bash it or compare it to another competitor, but... I just think when they eventually got the product right and hit the market, it was probably just priced too high to where it could be adopted as much if they want to adopt it like an NVX product or an SCSI or I'm seeing 1080 IP streamers right now that are blowing me away at price points like from Wirestorm that have held up over hours and hours of testing. It, by no means are they the greatest quality, but they'll get you through a sports bar, right? I'm seeing that and I'm seeing a, a products from Liberty sitting there in the, you know, $300, $400, you know, cost line now. So it's, I think what it's going to really boil down to is, a, is, is it better to use QSC because I'm going to get some sort of benefit all being QSC and that's got to be over what the price point is going to be with other over AV or IP products. I want to circle back to something you said there. You said um, certain products will get you through a sports bar, quote unquote. Is, is that really, it doesn't really come down to the, the use case and uh, the environment that you're trying to deploy and deliver AV over IP? Yeah, last year when we tackled this, right, one of the things I wanted to do was create a, I wanted to go to one or two switch manufacturers. I had to make it easier. Instead of, I know that I'm not going to get a whole bunch of network engineers out in the field. So I'm like, okay, can I solve this engineering ways? Can I take in a whole bunch of things that are similar? And can I get a switch set up that generally works for everything, right? And, and on three switches. So that way my guys can pull it off of our rack shelf back there with that preloaded. 
and go with minimal configuration out in the field. And that created a process where I had to test out, since we do a whole bunch of different lines, a lot of the different lines over the AV over IP. So I sent everyone to me because everyone had their own little flavor and their own little needs that needed to go into that. Uh, people sent me in their boxes, and what was really interesting was was watching it, right? So the thing is, was like, well, guys, you know, I'd have a sales guy come to me. He's like, yeah. I go, we were the first ones to deploy NVX in the United States just by accident. I'm like, oh, wow, it worked actually out of box. You know, I was like, thank, thank you, Crestron. That was that was painless for that one. And um, and uh, and it's beautiful, 1080, right? So, okay. Then everyone started talking about 4K. Okay, great. 4K is great, but how much deployment in a conference room are we seeing a 4K nowadays? Is that more than 20%, right? You know, so when you're looking for someone who's needing something economical, and I always, you, you got to keep that in mind. The engineer shouldn't dictate the price or the value. The client dictates the value to us and where they want to be in that price point. So the way I like to work with my engineers is that you need to engineer it to where where the client sees the value at without without giving them something that's going to get them into trouble, right? So when I go back to the sports bar comment, you know, if someone's been watching DirecTV at 720p over that, throwing it on this 1080p box, yeah, you know, the, the best encoders in the world will, will make sure it's frameless and all that and perfect latency, but do you need it? You know, it's, it's background candy or someone's watching a sports game and, and on, on a small TV, they're not going to notice notice that too much, I don't think, there. And so... Uh, can you get away with it? And that's what the client wants. Then, I mean, you should talk all that out loud with them. You know, I don't think we should play shenanigans or anything like that. But I think there's a purpose and a place for those products out in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, as we wrap this up, uh, the, the whole idea of an ecosystem, and, and QSC is not alone here. There are several manufacturers, Eric and, and uh, mentioned several <laughs> companies that, that would like to keep you uh, in, in their sandbox. What are some of the dangers, though, uh, of staying in one company's ecosystem when you're trying to go out and, and sell a client on a solution? I, I think no matter who the manufacturer is, you see it in every scenario. The biggest ones we run into all the time is we're a Cisco shop, we're a Microsoft shop. And so, you know, we as integrators have to say, okay, we want to be able to integrate most open platforms to give our clients the best experience. But the manufacturers obviously want to keep everything in-house. So... I think Eric and Luke kind of nailed it, you know, especially with, with, with this scenario is it's going to be a use case. Is this the best use case scenario? And will the client actually pay for a QSC solution because it's in their ecosystem or is there a better, cheaper product out there? They're saying, okay, maybe I have to manage two different manufacturers, but it's a better solution. So it's a hard answer to say, okay, you should go with one throat to choke because they're always going to deliver the best solution. Because I think we all know that's not true. Some people do probably 70% really well. I think you have to really look and say, where is QSC going to price this? Does it really give from a, an interface perspective? Does it, you know, is it easier to manage and does it provide this better experience for that cost point? And I think Eric said it is, you know, if the customer is going to decide, is it worth this? And I think, Every customer, no matter what the manufacturer is, is going to say, okay, if I put all my eggs in one basket with X manufacturer, am I really getting the best product, the best solution, and, you know, the overall experience? I haven't seen one manufacturer do that really, really well. So a lot of times it comes down to what Kool-Aid you're going to drink. 
All right, very good. Uh, next story up is talking about CDA. CD is bringing lighting design education to their members. The first step uh, is a white paper titled, quote, unquote, quality of light in the home. You, can, you uh, can't get the access to the paper unless you're a CDA member. I understand CDA is a residential organization, not really, really uh, the residential part's not what I want to get into. Uh, but in the piece, CDA appears to start a conversation with their residential dealers about the benefits of lighting design. Walt Zerby, the senior director of technology for CDA, said, quote, unquote, human-centric lighting is an area that we are seeing a rapid progress from a technology standpoint. CDA is not alone in this. In uh, late 2017, HTSA announced a lighting program for their members as well. Again, that's also, HTSA is also a, a residential uh, dealer organization. Uh, Eric, I want to start with you on this, though. It, two organizations within the residential market are, are looking at lighting as a potential uh, almost, honestly, revenue source, and it's an area where their folks can, can get into. Uh, the host of our, our residential program, Matt Scott, has done lighting for years in residential and also in light commercial. How should commercial integrators view lighting from an AV and also an integration standpoint and, and a sales standpoint? Hey, for us, we've always done lighting. I got a little bit of an advantage because I was a lighting designer before I came over to the side of the industry, though, so I had an interest in it, right? You know, so, but. Um, I think City is right on point here. Actually, there's a there's probably a missed opportunity going on right now. If you changing it around a little bit, if you uh, I've really dug deep into the Philips products right now because uh, lighting is lighting on the PoE. You get the power and you get the energy, but there are kind of three things that the facility managers are looking for now. It's kind it's called a three thirty three hundred, right? So and that refers to uh, my rent. My, or my utilities, my rent, and my productivity and, and dollars only per square foot. What gets really interesting with like some of the Phillips products, and those are just the ones that I'm really familiar with, is that they have, um, not only is the PoE power of the lights, they have occupancy sensors, they have wayfinding, they have tracking for you in there, and it's all in one fixture. So um, moving that away from the high voltage guys in construction where we can go install that and we can start tying that in with our stuff I don't know a lot of guys doing it. I think that's that's a growth area for us quite quite dramatically. And to go with more of the your original topic, yeah, pretty much all those style features right now, they do do the light shifting on you. So as you come in during the day, the, you know, you, you go from uh, a red hue down to the blue hue. There's a lot of science behind that. That's that's really interesting. And and it, the their marketing material is really good about tying that back to the 330 and 300, the most expensive thing you have in your facilities going on is your out is your labor hours per hour. So if you want to make a case with the facilities manager, show me how my productivity for that $300 per salary drops. That actually is more important to me than maybe the energy efficiency in my rent right now. Wow. And I think Phillips does a really good job tying that together in some of their marketing um, materials. Mike, when it comes to, to selling this and, and, and putting this in front of the customer, is this, like Eric said, you know, going back to, you know, maybe getting, trying to get this away from the ECs, from the electrical contractors. Yeah, they can still do the, the, the high voltage, obviously, but it comes to fixtures, it comes to programming, it comes to, you know, making sure that the lighting systems are, are designed out. Is this something that AV companies should expand into? I think it's something you can't avoid. So what I mean by that is when you're building out a new building, whether it's corn shell or whatever it is, you know, the architect's going to take it to an aspect and they're going to say, oh, okay, well, you're putting a Crestron system in this room or putting something in there. You're, are you going to control the lighting? Is this an enlightened solution, a Lutron solution? You know, 
who's going to handle it. I think it's kind of that hot potato. Like the EC wants a part of it, but the minute it starts being integrated into a, a, a video room or things of that nature, it kind of gets thrown up in the air. You know, I think Eric brings up a good point with, with POE. You know, we've all seen the benefits or we, we hear what Philips and or even, you know, Cisco taught it for a long time. Hey, doing POE on this. But that's, you basically have to do a net new build to really integrate POE unless you're going to gut something. So I, I think there's two challenges here. I think the challenge is, okay, lighting's going to get integrated into whatever we're building out for our conference and telephones enclaves, especially when there's video. You've got to tackle it and you've got to own it because it's going to go over an IP backbone. But number two is, okay, how are we going to integrate this into the network if it is a POE scenario? Or is it going to be a standalone, you know, network? And I think you need to tackle that solution ahead of time because, unfortunately, what we've seen is when companies are building on net new spaces, a lot of times it's an afterthought. Oh, yeah, well, I thought you guys were going to integrate that into the room. Wait, we didn't have that discussion. I thought you guys were going to do that. So I think you have to design for it ahead of time. I think as an AV integrator, you have to know it and you have to be engaged in it. Is it a revenue stream? Absolutely. Uh, but I think you, you, you've got to have really good expertise and you're going to have to own that conversation with the architect and, and the other interior designers in that build up and make sure that you're the one that's driving the decision on it. If not, they're just going to put in something and you're going to be stuck. Well, Luke, Luke, to Mike's point, you know, you, uh, it's obviously a revenue stream. Is it a revenue stream, though, that you want and not necessarily you specifically? How do you make that decision for you and your company that, yes, this obviously is a revenue stream, it's a product and a service that I can sell, but it might not be something that we have a core competency with, with you know, ABC uh, commercial integration company? Uh, yeah, we, Electroacoustics has been doing commercial dimming for over 10 years. So we are a strand house. Um, so it's more, uh, commercial controls for theatrical and educational venues. They do Broadway, they do, uh, high school auditoriums, that type of thing. Uh, and there is a partnership with the electrician that's doing the high voltage, but we're doing all of the, uh, we're providing materials. A lot of the times we're doing programming, low voltage connections. And the way we got into that is we'd be doing a high school auditorium and we'd be doing audio and pulling audio cable and video and we'd be pulling video cable and everything's getting networked. We're pulling cat five. And then we would have to subcontract um, a theater company to come do drapes and instruments and controls for the lighting and all that programming. And I mean, we were being asked to sub that out under our contract because even the owner or the architect saw that as just general AVL technology, but we didn't have that competency. And we got tired of just putting 10 points on top of it or none and passing that along. And so we self-educated. We didn't actually hire anybody with that specific background. It probably would have made that initial transition easier, uh, but we, we self-educated. Um, at one point we were paying for the factory to come do our turn-ons. Again, that was wasted revenue. So I've personally been a factory certified tech for strand lighting for seven years. And so I do my own turn-ons. I've done some uh, 1099 work on the side. Um, and so I've been in, in the lighting world for, for most of a decade. And it's been a great revenue stream for us. And what it all comes down to, I think CD has hit it on the head. Avixa released a standard for lighting during video conferencing, which I am not paying attention to right now. Um, <laughs> but 
when you walk into a room, how does the room sound? How does the sound reinforcement sound? How does the video look? And is it the appropriate quality and size? But then also, how well lit is the room? And there's, you know, audience lighting. There's task lighting. And, you know, the, the, the buzzword for the last year has been, you know, experience designers. Uh, and you can't have an experience without good lighting. It, it, it all has to come together. So I think it's definitely a revenue stream that's a big part of our industry. I, I mean, talking with, with Eric just now, I, th I think several of us have seen it as a part. This is nothing new. This is not a, a new way of looking at things. It's just maybe planting a flag on something that's already there and just reminding everyone that it's still here, it's still important, and it's still part of our job. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, finally, our, our last story. The first eSports, the first 4K eSports live stream took place in London over a 5G network. YouTube eSports star Vicstar123, obviously not his real name, but his YouTube name, played and streamed a Fortnite Battle Royale. Uh, if you're not familiar with Fortnite, uh, real quickly, Fortnite is a free-to-play connected video game where players fight with weapons in a battle royale until there is one player standing. Epic Games, the company that owns and produces Fortnite, made about $3 billion last year. Uh, Blackmagic, for this specific stream, Blackmagic provided the connectivity and switching, and the stream was encoded using Matrox 4K encoder. I want to point that out, though. You've got a, a Blackmagic system, you have a 4K encoder. Last year, Harmon uh, announced the creation of an eSports arena in Las Vegas. Uh, Mike, I want to start with you on this. This is an up-and-coming industry. I mentioned the fact that, that Epic, the company that owns and produces Fortnite, made $3 billion. That's billion with a B. $3 billion in one year. There are teams that make hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year. There's a, a gentleman who is a, uh, one of the top Fortnite players. His name is Ninja. He makes somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred dollars to $500,000 a month, depending on the month, obviously. And I said a month. This is an industry that has a lot of money. And they are, it's an industry that is still kind of finding itself. So where is e-gaming on most commercial integrators' radar? Uh, I think it's a niche. Like some AV integrators do really well in corporate like we mm -hmm. do. And that's our focus. Some do really well in house of worship. Some do very well in, in entertainment. If you're going to be talking about 5G, you're going to be talking about streaming and, and those types of things or land-based gaming, you've got to be an expert in that niche. You know, it, you, you've got to be someone that focuses on it. Uh, for Netrix, we do not. Uh, we focus really on, on the integration and adoption side in, in corporate AV. Um, but it, it's something that's popping up. I know it's, you know, there's, there's one near me in Phoenix that just popped up, you know, a new 2000 seat esports arena. There's another one in Chicago that's just popping up and they've got the money. They've got the VCs behind them that are spending the money to put some, some intense AV into it. But just like someone who's going to do a stadium for you know, the Cowboys or something, that is a really, really niche as an AV integrator that you have to put all your chips in that basket and go forward with it. Um, I think there's probably only going to be a few players that can really do it. I think people are going to put their hands in it. Uh, I know we've looked at it and we've said, you know what, it's not something we're going to do because you really need specialized people to do that. Um, and we would rather look to another AV integrator to partner with and let us do the things that we do well 
And if they've got a niche or they do really well, like we do with other things with software development, let them be great at it. I think someone really has to put all their chips in that basket to be well at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, from, from your opinion, where, where, where you sit, you are the youngest of, of this, of this group. Uh, where should, you know, it might make a good point. It may not be everybody's competency because I'm like similar to lighting, but where should folks see e-gaming? Is it, is it really a niche uh, and that you have to have specialized folks for? Uh, I actually don't think so. And that's because I don't think you're going to see any design build uh, esports arenas pop up. It's all going to be bid spec from a consultant. So you might have a consultant who is, uh, great in that that one particular niche that esports is going to pop up and, and grow from, but at the end of the day, it's for for a, a integrator. It's just general construction activities. It's pulling wire. It's hanging speakers. It's building um, direct view LED walls off of a truss and pick points, and it's it's nothing that we haven't done before. But it, we are not being asked to design a 5g solution with x amount of bandwidth and speed you know we don't know that and would not be appropriate to design that but i don't i don't see any esports owner coming forward and say we want to do a design build so i don't think it has to be a stretch if you're already playing in that large commercial space the rules don't don't change all right, Eric, you'll have the last word on this. What what sort of expertise and special ability, abilities uh, do, does the AV industry have that we can bring to esports? And you know whether it's you know like like Luke said, you know, just if it's just you know pulling that, or is there a case to be made where the AV industry is uniquely positioned uh, to help esports become the next large venue? market whether it's you know nobody i shouldn't say nobody i I would can't imagine anybody building something as big as the dallas cowboy stadium for esports but i could totally be wrong uh but obviously an av company did that stadium so is there something that we can show uh this market that hey you know we've got some some chops here and we might be able to help you out i would imagine if a company had a rental company associated with them or would was able to do that uh they would be able to cover an esports event pretty easily, and so, um, and from some experience, it's no different than covering any other event. So, maybe taking a—I don't want to get too much in some some proprietary stuff that we're doing. So, but anyway, to to not get myself into trouble here, actually, what I'd like to do is to talk about the expansion of the market. Um, the expansion of the market is, uh, what's really funny, my kid got accepted into Maryville University, and I didn't know this. I didn't know such thing in college. They actually have an NCAA uh, division for esports now that comes along with full-ride scholarships. Um, Maryville and, and Missouri just happened to won the national championships last year, so Mizzou is rushing to do it here in Missouri. And so I think that actually there's some opportunity here going, you know, you got the big boys out there, right? But um, as long as you have videographers and uh, being able to plug it into any kind of mixing board, there's nothing special about esports. just to be quite honest with it. It's just like covering any other sporting event. If you have those capabilities within the realm of your ranks, um, it is an enormous market that I foresee. It's not there yet, but it's about there. And uh, 
and you have some of those traditional old players playing in that market right now. So uh, I think it's just another niche, and 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 as long as you got a video, produ- as long as you can do video production, I think you won't have a problem with it whatsoever. All right, very good. That'll be the last word on it, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Mr. Lurk, Luke Jordan from Electroacoustic. Thanks, you, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can find us at eavi.com. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Jordan eavi. All right, very good. Mr. Snyder, good to see you as always, even though he's about 30 minutes that way <laughs> from me. Um, from Conference Technologies, thank you. How do people find you or uh, Conference um, Technology? Yeah, find us on the LinkedIn, Facebook, hit the Conference Technologies. I'll respond to anyone on LinkedIn. We're more than happy to chat and, and help anyone out. All right, very good. And Mr. Gleason, Mike Gleason from Netrix, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me, guys. You can find us at uh, netrixllc.com or you can find me on Twitter at mdglea. Um, so, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Once again, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters, uh, but go by the website if you would, please. avnation.tv. avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including our other weekly program. I kind of mentioned Resi Week, hosted by, hosted by my buddy Matt Scott, uh, commercial, a uh, light commercial and, and residential dealer up in London, Ontario. Uh, that happens every week. Uh, you'll get. Uh, we have also have one called the AV Profession, looking at uh, discusses AV business uh, advice. It's also time for our third annual Aviation Awards. Uh, we're doing something different this year. It's a, it's a bracket system, speaking of sports. So by the time this posted, the second round will have started. Uh, so this next week, you'll get the chance to, to vote on different categories and different people going head-to-head. And the last two weeks of January, we'll let you uh, kind of decide the, the finalists for that uh, also, while you're on the website, check out our, our supporters. Uh, these are the fo- folks who support us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and in just about a month, Integrated Systems Europe 2019. So all that and more at avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>